Amen. Thank you, choir. We're going to really miss Jeff, aren't we? You and Karen. They just got back from Nashville where they went to a Taylor Swift concert. Is that? <laughs> got some new music that they were going to bring, and you just have to take it somewhere else. Good to see you guys. Um, Murray uh, played It Is Well With My Soul, and uh, isn't that beautiful? Lenny did a great job. Amen. And that was a uh, man wrote those words after a sea tragedy, an ocean tragedy in which his family were drowned at sea. Uh, only his wife survived. And he wrote those words, it is well with my soul. And in the news this past week has been the submersible. And I know if you've seen that, it's a rare, sad tragedy. Uh, don't ever go down to uh, check out the bottom of the ocean in a homemade submarine. Amen. Stay away from that. But... And they were given warnings, but they did not observe the warnings, and they went away. It was kind of an adventurous thing. They were risk people, and those things happened, and our prayers are with the family. Um, we, uh, and by the way, did you see Jenna's outfit? That She came in as an alien, and that's all part of that uh, alien. of. And you're invited to Vacation Bible School if you can get down on your knees and then get back up again, okay? So you fall in that age group. Where you can fit in those kind of categories, you're invited to Vacation Bible School. And I encourage you to pray for our Vacation Bible School that God will bless that. There's a generation coming up that needs to know Christ is their Savior. And Vacation Bible School is a good place for that to happen. Now, we're in the middle of summer, kind of in the summer brain drain. I don't know if you've been there in the summer drain, brain drain. The, um, the time is more light this week than any other time in and, and it will gradually go down until we get to December. But somehow it causes a kind of brain drain in our lives. And I just want to share with you a poem that um, is special to me. And it goes like this. In the morning you wake up and can't seem to get up because you're worn out. You come home at night and sit down for a bite and you're hardly able to get up from the table Cause you're worn out. There you go. You got to be. You crawl into bed and sleep like you're dead. Cause you're. When you get up, uh, when you get to heaven with Jesus as King, we won't have to worry about anything. We will be happy and free because our bodies won't be. There you go. You get up on Sunday and you hate to see Monday cause you're worn out. You come sit in church and your back starts to hurt cause you're worn out. The choir starts to sing and you can't feel a thing cause you're, you pray the sermon uh, won't be long and the song won't last too long cause you're, there you go. You got that down pretty good. Okay, but when we get to heaven with Jesus as king, we won't have to worry about a thing, right? And that's because we won't be, you got it, okay. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth and Ruth chapter 1. And Ruth is about a mother-in-law who was worn out. And her life was just seemed to be going nowhere. In fact, it was kind of going backwards until the Lord rebuilt her life. And she thought God had abandoned her, but God was there all the time. God is, is there, he is there, and he's always good, 
But he is not always obvious. And sometimes we wonder, is he there? And does he care? And here's a lady that had to deal with that in a very powerful way. So, in honor of God's word, would you stand as we look at uh, Ruth chapter 1. Verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. That sound like a woman's meeting? <laughs> they had a group hug, lifted up their voice and cried and ate chicken salad sandwiches and went home. Amen. That sounds like a <laughs> That sounds like a Judson alumni meeting. <laughs> so they lifted up their voice, Ophir kissed her mother in law, and Ruth clung to her. There's a big change in that. And said, Behold, thy sister in law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return with her. But Ruth said, and I used this, uh, part of this at least, in a wedding I had yesterday at the beach. And uh, let me encourage you don't have a wedding at the beach in the middle of June. Amen. I saw the bride sweating, the groom was sweating, and the preacher almost passed out in the middle of all that heat. So please don't have a wedding at the beach in the middle of the summer. It looks good on television, but that's a different kind of matter. Uh, enough of that. Anyway, so treat me not to leave you or to turn away from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And where you die, will I die. And there will I be buried. That's one of the strongest scriptures and best of all the scriptures. If anything but death part you and me. And she saw that as Naomi saw that Ruth was steadfastly determined to go with her. Then she speak, quit speaking to her. And they set out on a trip in the middle to go to Bethlehem. And Ruth never has been there in her life. So God is doing something even in the midst of what looks like a kind of dead situation. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. Ruth is a short book. It's just four chapters. It's um, right after Judges and in between Judges and 1 Samuel. We don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. It, is the, it could have been Samuel. But behind this is a woman's direction because it's written like a woman would write a story. It's kind of a hallmark story or a chick flick, if you want to put it that way. Um, in the end, they kiss, amen, and it starts snowing. I reckon that's what happens at every Hallmark kind of thing is they kiss, and it, or it starts snowing, and then they kiss. That's what happens. Anyway. And so it's, all, it's kind of those stories that's good at the end, and, and it has some problems in there, but they work it out, and it all works together. Uh, when I was at uh, Judson, I would give the girls a requirement to make an A in my class, an Old Testament class that they had to write a uh, term paper on one book in the Old Testament. And 99.8% wrote on Ruth because they write like Ruth. There, there was um, a prayer meeting at Judson, and uh, as they prayed, they said, Lord, give us clean hearts, and they said amen. And then they said, uh, God, give us your hearts, and they said amen. And then they said, Lord, give us sweethearts. And they all said, Amen. 
And their favorite verse was this verse. If any man would come after me, let him. <laughs> so uh, that kind of sums up kind of Ruth, if you got it there. Uh, Ruth is, the story is not about Ruth. It's really, she's one of the main characters. And Boaz is the most eligible bachelor in town. And it's um, kind of about those two, and they play their parts in there, but it's about Naomi. Because Naomi struggles. And all of us struggle in those places where we wanted God to be, and he seems to be so absent. And so she struggles. But then she regains something that she seems to have lost when she had to let go of her husband and her two sons. And it's because Ruth is there with her and they walk through the darkness hand in hand because everybody needs somebody who will walk through those dark places where all of us go in one place or another. No life is perfect. There is no perfect place. There is no perfect family. There is no perfect husband and wife. There is no perfect life situation. But all of us have to face those kind of things. Sometimes life looks so hard as it comes at us. And we wonder, where's God in the middle of this? And this book, uh, short book, she finds God in the middle of her moment, in, even when she didn't think he was there. And decisions are important. And you and I make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. And here's the point in a lot of time. When do I say yes? When do I say no? If I get my no in my yes or my yes in my no, then I'll regret it and wish I had it to do over again. Or when do I make things happen and when do I let things happen? Um, when do I back away and when, I, when do I come on strong? And those are decisions we all make and we need some kind of wisdom beyond us to help us to deal with those situations because we can make so many wrong decisions in the middle of a right situation or make wrong to right decisions somehow in the middle of those kind of situations. And all of a sudden we say, man, I wish I had to do it over again. But James tells us uh, that if anyone lack wisdom to ask and God will give it to you. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a couple who were facing a tragic situation or a situation that were kind of in, they were deciding whether to stay together or fall apart. Or they just lost a loved one and it just kind of destroyed. If you don't handle those as a husband and wife in the right kind of way, somehow you can drift apart in the middle of losing an infant or losing a child or losing a situation like that. It can drive you apart rather than hold you together. So decisions are very important, and when we make those kind of decisions, we need help beyond ourselves. We need a help from an all-sufficient God who says, I will be there with you. Now, here are four kinds of decisions that are made in this book of Ruth, and let's look at them as they appear. So if you have your Bibles, look back at your Bible at chapter 1 of Ruth, and in the first chapter gives us a kind of introduction to what happens in that situation. So if you have your Bibles, here it is, verse 1. And that came to pass. And by the way, that was my mother's favorite verse. It came to pass. So she used to give me that all the time. It came to pass. But it came to pass in those days when the judges ruled, 
which was a, such a sad time in Israel. It just, they walked away from God so many times under the Judges. Some of them were good, some of them were bad. But it looked like at the end of the book of Judges, there's no hope, and God seems to be abandoned by this nation. And they don't seem like a nation that would look like anything like God. So Ruth is the bright side of the Dark Ages. It was the time of the Judges that there was a famine in the land. And you and I have never experienced that famine in the land. Uh, Bethlehem means house of bread. And it was a rich grain growing region, still is a rich grain growing region. And that's where David came from. And the shepherds kind of uh, used their sheep to uh, be around the grain fields and the harvest field. But there is no bread in the house of bread. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but we've seen scenes from television of children who just emaciated and they were looking for their next food. So that was one of those situations. There's a famine in the land. And there was a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the company of Moab. Moab was the company right, country right next to uh, Israel. So he made a journey from Bethlehem and moved to Moab, which is a foreign country. And they were foreigners in this kind of foreign country. But there's a time when you can watch your family starve and then you have to do something. And so his name is Elimelech. And Elimelech just, he was a, tradition said that he was a potter by choice and by trade. And so he didn't have anything to put in his pots. And business was going down, inventory was building up. And so do you sit there and watch things happen? Or you do you move and make things happen? And so that was a big decision by Elimelech. What do I do? What do I do with this situation? Do I stay here? And that's a lot of decisions that people in Selma have made. Do I stay here or do I leave? A lot of people in this church have made that decision. Do I stay here or do I leave? Do I stay here and work it out and stay with it or do I leave and go somewhere else and start over again? Well, his decision was that he would go to Moab. So he goes to Moab and, the word, and he has uh, two sons, his wife and two sons, and they move up and move to Moab. And they're kind of foreigners in Moab. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the word Naomi means pleasant. The name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. So if you're looking for two names to put on your dogs, put one Malon and the other Chilion. But they're from Bethlehem. And they came into the country of Moab. And they settled there. But I don't see anywhere where Elimelech goes and says, God, what would you have me to do? Do you see that that's missing here? Do you see he's making his decision, make on just of his senses and the things he reads around him and the circumstances he looks around him? He never asked God, God, what do you want me to do? And David, in his great sin with Bathsheba, he never said, God, is this the right thing or is this the wrong thing? He made up his mind, came up to his own conclusions, and went to a place called Moab. 
And so he's there in the middle of Moab. Now, look at verse 3. His tragedy strikes. And it strikes all of us. Somewhere or another. All of us will walk out of a cemetery and leave somebody we love very much in that cemetery. That's the way life is. Verse 4 of Elimelech and Naomi's husband died and she was left and two of her sons. He was the one who kind of the leader in the Jewish family. The father is always the leader and he sets the direction for the family. Not only is he the leader in providing food and things for the family, but he's also the one who's supposed to be the spiritual leader of his family. So she's left with her two sons. And uh, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. So they decided to stay there, and they stayed there. The boys took wives from among the women in Moab. So they're Moabites. And he looks at the women in Moab, and he says, uh, this is going to be my wife. And the other one said, uh, this is going to be my wife. And so Ruth marries Malon, and uh, Orpha uh, becomes the wife of Chilion. Now, women in Moab are not that attractive they say, I mean, the desert takes its toll. There's nothing there but sand. So it takes its toll. You can put Noxima on it or whatever you want to with the wind and the rain, but it takes its toll on the skin condition that you're there. Not only that, that if you eat your food, it's going to have sand in there somewhere, and you're chewing on this food. And they say when you have 32 Moab women together, you have a full set of teeth. But it's either that or stay single for the rest of their life. So they took wives, Orpha and Ruth, and they brought them into the home. It must have been that uh, Naomi had to take over the task of getting all this together because her husband would have gotten all this together. Uh, she is a very resourceful lady. So it happens that Malon and Chilion died. And so both of her sons were gone. Now for a woman to be successful in that culture in that time, she needed to have a husband and, a, and, and sons. But here, all that's been taken away from her. And she's by herself. But she has two daughters-in-law, but they're foreigners. Maybe there was a struggle in there. But she decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And she has heard word that things are better in Bethlehem. So does she stay where she is with her two daughters-in-law? Or does she go back to Bethlehem where she has heard word? And that's where she's from. That's where all her family is from. So she makes that decision to go back to Bethlehem. And when she gets to Bethlehem... Uh, well, Ruth says, uh, Orphan may leave you, but I will never leave you. Now, I want to put a point here that's very important. Um, besides having the group hug and, and everybody crying in that woman's circle, um, what they're dealing with is the person that leaves you or the person that stays with you. 
Which will be your decision? Where will you get your identity from? Will you get your identity from the people that have left you? Or will you get your identity from the people who stay with you? And move forward with you? And so Naomi is given, but she ought to see this as a God sign, that although Ruth is from a different kind of um, culture and different way, something has attracted Ruth to her mother-in-law. It may be that they had this kind of soul connection, even though they were in different cultures. It may have been that, that she saw something in Naomi, even when she was going through this time. She saw something of God's presence in this mother-in-law's life, and she said, I wish I had that. Maybe Ruth came out of no family, and she wanted a family. But whatever, she decides to stay with her mother-in-law. So that's the second decision that's made in the book. If you look and see in verse 19 of chapter 1, they get to Bethlehem, and uh, verse 19 says, and the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. Probably caught a caravan that was moving from Moab to, to Israel. Because two women out in the desert alone wouldn't have lasted long. So when they came to Bethlehem and all the city was moved, there was this kind of welcome home to, um, to Naomi. Because they still thought the world of her. And so they put out the sign, I'm just thinking here, put out the signs, welcome home, Naomi, and she just explodes. I don't know if you've ever seen a woman explode, but this woman just exploded. All this stuff is built up inside of her. And so the welcome back to her home becomes a trigger moment that just pulls all this stuff from the inside and pours it out. And she just... Listen to her words, and call me not Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has been bitter with me, and she just pours out her heart and just pours out her heart. It's like um, uh, one says, like somebody throwing up in an elevator. Is that a good thing to say? <laughs> Makes her feel better, but everybody else around her, you just killed our welcome home session here. But that's okay. It's okay. Because these emotions that are inside, if they don't come out, they will damage you on the inside and you will become a very bitter person. So she just explodes. So God, you have beaten me with a stick and now you've abandoned me. And if you read the Psalms, you will read the psalmist talking about, God, where were you? I expected you to be there. Why am I in this situation? I've tried to follow you all my life. And now this has happened to me. Where were you in the middle of that? And she comes back to Bethlehem. Now here's the third kind of uh, decision they make if you have your Bibles uh, begin with verse chapter 2 and they come to Bethlehem and when they come to Bethlehem we're introduced to a guy named Boaz who's the most eligible bachelor in town not only is he the best most eligible bachelor in town he's the richest farmer in town 
He's got a good business and things are going well for him. Life is good. The fish are jumping and the cotton is high. And so life is good with Boaz. But now, who was Boaz? Stay with me. Who was Boaz before he met Ruth? And the answer is he was ruthless. Are you there? Can you hear that? So who was Jerry Henry before he met Susan Rawls? He was Susanless. And it is not good for man to be alone. And so Boaz, uh, she comes to glean, she left over grain in the harvest fields. And so is she going to work or starve? Now own two options. And so she starts gathering this leftover grain in the middle of a harvest field that's left out there. And Boaz comes to say hello to all of his workers, and as he comes to say hello to all of his workers, he looks out there, and, and Ruth is out there gleaning. And she is not one of those toothless Moabites. Evidently, she looks good. And so he says, who is that? Uh, hot dog. That's what Adam said when God brought Eve into his life. And he had been naming these animals. And all of a sudden, here was this woman. And, and Adam says, hot dog. She is much better than all those other animals you have brought around me. So he says, who is that? And they tell him. She's a Moabitess who has come with her mother-in-law. And she's gleaning in the field. So Boaz takes a step and meets her. And when he meets her, he says, you glean out here. My men will watch over you so nobody will hurt you. There'll be a bathroom over here where all the other women go. You use that. When I bring a meal out here, you just, you can say, see that he's kind of struck by her. And he has this chemistry going between the two of them. And look at verse 20, if you have your Bibles. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. Ruth goes back and tells her mother that he gave her some extra wheat and and all that he had done. And something dawned on this lady who was so negative. And Naomi said unto her daughter, Blessed be he of the Lord. Her outlook begins to change, and she begins to see God in her moment. Doesn't bring that all that she lost back, but he gave her something to look forward to. And he has not withheld his kindness. Now, the word there for kindness, if you have the King James Version, is the Hebrew word hesed, which means God's love, God's covenant love, God's steadfast love. And that he has given us his steadfast love. And the man named Boaz is your next of kin. And the word there is Hebrew word goel, which is a kinsman redeemer. That is if, if a brother's uh, wife died, then the brother was supposed to marry her and continue his brother's line. And down on down, down the family. So he is her next of kin. And his purpose under the kind of uh, laws of that day of Bethlehem was that you, he was next in line to marry her. Although there was one person in between them. And he says, let's handle it right. 
Now, get to chapter 3. Have you there at chapter 3? We're working our way through this, I promise. I don't know if you're getting hungry yet, but we'll keep going. Stay there with me for a while. Maybe you're getting worn out, but hang in there, okay? In chapter 3, Naomi said, he is our next kinsman redeemer. So this is what I want you to do. If you have your Bibles, you look. Verse 3. I want you to go down to the threshing floor. The threshing floor was the center of attention for a community. And there was the ground was packed, kind of like these hard boards are packed. And what they would do with the wheat and the, and the and coals were there together. And so they would throw them up in the air and it would blow the chaff away. And what was left was the wheat. And so they would gather all this wheat. And she said, I want you to go down to the threshing floor. How do you get ready for a date? Here's a good way to get ready for a date. Verse 3 of chapter uh, 3. Are you ready? You wash yourself. Isn't that a good thing to do? You wash yourself. And then uh, said this, and, and put on the best dress that you have. Go in your closet and find the best dress that you have. And then put on some perfume. Amen. I'll help the situation out. And go to the threshing floor. You take the initiative to get him to marry you. Now that's not the Snow White approach. Snow White lay comatose on the side of the road and waiting for Prince Charles Fitz Charmin to come by and give her a kiss. That's one approach. One of the girls at Judson said, God's going to bring me my husband at the door. And I told her, I said, well, the choices you're going to have are the FedEx man and Domino's Pizza man. That's <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a FedEx man. If you've been brought a FedEx man, then love him as God's bring to you or Domino's Pizza guy. Maybe uh, you just uh, saw that as your relationship. But a lot of times you got to take the initiative to go out there. And so she does. And it took a lot of trust on her part to put herself out there. Because the whole thing could have been misunderstood and mismanaged. And there would be nothing but regret on top of that situation. So here's what her uh, mother-in-law told her in verse 4. If you got... Go down to the threshing floor where he will be on top of his harvest. He had to stay there on top of his harvest because there were people come and steal his harvest. So he's eating and drinking, so he's an Episcopalian, amen. He's not a Baptist. A Baptist would be drinking Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi or something like that. And he's feeling good. He's got a good harvest. Things are going well. And so he goes to sleep at night, sleeping on top of his harvest. Life is good. Everything is fine. And so Ruth finds out where he is. And she comes in verse 4 and she uncovers his feet. Now, if you want to make a man wake up, then you uncover his feet while he's sleeping. And she uncovers those feet. And he wakes up and says, who are you? I mean, it's midnight. And she said, I am Ruth, and you're my next kinsman redeemer. Now he says in words like this, trust me. I'll do the right thing. 
Now, you can't trust everybody. You've got to be careful who you trust. But she trusted him to do the right thing. And what didn't happen at the threshing floor later on happened at the honeymoon. And a baby was born to the two of them. And the baby was named Obed, who was the grandfather of David. And they lived happily ever after. Amen? Isn't that a good story? But the right decisions were made in the middle of life coming at you hard and fast. And you need, you and I both need God's wisdom in making those decisions. And God continued his line in Obed and David and then the line of the Messiah because God is there always, but he is not obvious but he's still working behind things to bring them together that only God can do to bring those things together. Now, I want you to, if you have your hymnals, would you turn with me to our invitational hymn. I think it's, isn't it 434? 434. I picked that out because... It's a decision kind of thing that you that this person did. That comes from a missionary who wrote that. In, a missionary was in India, and the missionary in India won this guy who was an Indian uh, to the Lord, and they brought him before the tribal council because they would not accept Christianity, and they brought him before the tribal council, and they said, "Tell us what you have done," and he said this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. In front of the tribal council of those who are trying either condemn him or let him free, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And the chief of that tribal council said, nobody in this group has decided to follow Jesus. And nobody is going to be with you. And so he said, though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. He talked about the cross and he said, my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. And he said this, as they were about to eliminate him and to condemn him, the world behind me, the cross before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. Now, I hope you've made that decision in your life. And I hope you've made that decision public. I hope you've become a part of a church that is witnessing for Christ in the middle of Selman, Dallas County. Uh, it's times that we cannot back off. We have to be involved. Because our world is heading in the wrong kind of direction. And we need people who will step up and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though nobody else goes with me, I still will follow. The cross before me, I still will follow. 
And maybe you're just kind of standing back waiting for something to happen. And it's easy to stand back in the crowd and not be involved in what God is doing because it's not always, it isn't easy. Never has been easy. But your choice is your decision. And don't let this moment by without making that decision. If you've never been baptized by immersion, you need to be baptized by immersion. Or maybe you were baptized before you accepted Christ and you need to come and have that uh, baptism confirmed. Yesterday I baptized a little girl who's seven years old, I think it was, and uh, I looked into her eyes. Oh, she had these pretty blue eyes that a little girl can have. And, and uh, have you committed your life to Jesus? She said, yes. And I put her under the water and brought her back up. That was an awesome kind of moment. I hope you have that kind of moment in your life. We're going to, just going to come and lead us in our invitational hymn. And if you would, just bow your heads uh, for just a moment. And if you need to make that kind of decision in your life today, then I hope you have enough courage to make that kind of decision. So let's bow our heads. Would you do? Would you bow your head before we go into our invitational time? God, I thank you for the story of Ruth and, and Naomi and Boaz. And how it's a story that lives forever. And it tells us about a God who loves and can bring the darkness, can bring light to our darkness. And somehow you bring together situations that looked impossible. But I thank you that you're there. And even though we cannot feel you, you never leave us, never forsake us. But you put things on our hearts sometimes and we resist and we hold back. When our best decision is, I have decided to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now just going to come and lead us. If God's been leading you to make that decision, I'll be down front waiting for you to make that kind of decision.